Hello, and welcome to another episode of Logically Speaking. This is our events edition. I'm Tatiana Harris with Logically. In this episode, I talk with Matt Lee from PAX 8. You are the Senior Director of Security and Compliance at PAX 8. Yes, that's correct. Could you tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you got into security and IT in general? Yeah, sure. So I actually started as a younger person doing... Uh, I was a banker, I had been a stockbroker when I was 19, I moved in, and every three or four years I would change entire careers. I either get offended by something or bored by something, or felt like I maybe mastered something where it wasn't uh, like a fun thing to play with in my head anymore. Um, and so I went from you know investments to banking and banking to mortgages, mortgages to non-numismatic and numismatic gold brokerage, right? So I started tra- trading in, in collectible and non-collectible gold and bullion. Uh, and then I traveled around and was a diamond buyer for a few years, buying and selling milli or small diamonds, uh, 0.1 carat or less diamonds, uh, with a couple of Armenian guys. And so I, I just have generally been always curious and always stepping into different jobs. The challenge is when I moved to Wichita, Kansas and started with a, as a brake fix technician at a small MSP, I was hooked because I could never get broad enough to understand all of technology. I could never get deep enough to understand anything to a point where I was at an exhaustion level or couldn't you know, learn more. And so it just kind of kept me into a constant sense of curiosity. But it also led me, just like you guys get to experience at, at Logically, it led me to be able to go and ask questions of hundreds of different businesses, different business types. How do you make money? What makes you happy? What drives your world? And be curious there too and never run out of that. And so it, it, it always kept allowing me to keep broadening my understanding of the world and then use that to help them be more successful with technology, with security. It's always the same. Um, how did I get into security, however, was as we became a very large MSP, we got punched really hard in the face. And we lost a bunch of money to Soto no Kibi ransomware gang through an acquisition where we lost an entire million-dollar acquisition from a revenue perspective we lost the insurance claim from a cost perspective, and we missed the opportunity. We could have bought another MSB that would have been better for us, that wasn't screwed like that. And so when, we, when that played out, the next 18 months of my, of my life were in lawsuits or, or threatened lawsuits, conversations with attorneys and forensics responders and federal authorities and all of that for the next year and a half, which allowed me to then focus so very heavily on security in general, uh, and driving that for that MSP for the next few years before we sold successfully, uh, and I got my first exit. But um, that's how I kind of came into cybersecurity as a practitioner. Now I find myself as an educator and as a subject matter, I won't ever say expert because you can't ever be an expert, but I would say a subject matter student perpetually uh, and trying to drive and change subject matter where possible throughout our industry. So um, I'm lucky enough and blessed enough that PAX 8 sponsors that, I like to say they sponsor my breakfast, lunches, and dinners and help my mission uh, to drive us all to have a better life through technology and security. So that's, that's kind of amazing. my background. Yeah. I love that you you don't refer to yourself as a subject matter expert. No. Like in a constantly evolving field, yeah. you can never be an expert. That's exactly it. It's, it's too fast moving for you to be an expert. Now, you can be uh, very experienced in it. Mm-hmm. You can have a lot of losses and failures and successes that build up our life and understanding of things. But I just don't think expert's a fair term uh, in a non-static body of knowledge, is my point. Yes, so. that definitely makes sense. So as someone in like a security and compliance role, what do you see on a day-to-day basis 
that maybe the average person wouldn't think about or they might consider it but not really to the extent that you see it every day great question I don't think people realize how bad it really is. And I don't mean that to paint this fear and situation. I mean, nobody's got it figured out, right? When it comes down to the vendors that write your software, that prepare your your stuff that you consume, all the way down to what you do as a service, all the way down to what your customers and consumers are doing to secure themselves. We're all at this state where we've defined security as tools, we've defined certain things, but we aren't really prepared for security being the very fabric of how we make decisions and what we do around around our technology. It's not built in. Like in a car, I have an airbag and it's already there and I don't have to turn it on when I get it. My seatbelt dings at me relentlessly if I don't buckle up and I didn't have to do anything to make that happen. Yet in security, and in our world today with technology, you're going to buy something that will be the least secure you'll ever see it, and you must then improve it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not built in endemically even at the manufacturers that create this software. Right. right? There's a call to action from CISA right now that says um, secure by design, secure by default, basically saying you need to make it where the airbags are tor- turned on, but additionally you need to make sure there's airbags. Like It kind of comes <laughs> into that conversation. So right. we're in that stage of cybersecurity today. Yeah, that's a huge topic around the event today, too. Like, not just AI, but just uh, security by design. Yeah. Like, having having everything and having that mindset set in security. And the only reason you can have that as a just exposition is you're from the other side of that just exposition, (laughs) right? And you're not secure by design. You slapped it together and said, it'll be fine, it needs to work. And I've had executives say to me, Matt, a lot of money is made on shitty software. Right? They genuinely believe that, and they're right. There's been no repercussions. Right? If you look at CISA, they released um, with, the na- with the president the National Cybersecurity Strategy back in March. And in that, they said markets often impose upon the weakest, essentially, I'm summarizing, upon the weakest of those consumers, the risk while the profit rides on the ones creating that risk. And, and it's this very interesting point where that's the case, right? They've made software they know they're not investing in to make better. They're not going to do the things to make it cursorily more secure. And yet they still make the same profit. In fact, they're rewarded for not making it more secure. Right. right? And so you're in this weird world where now the call to action is be secure by design, be secure by default. Because it wasn't before. <laughs> uh, and so I think that's a great call to action right now and change in our world that matters a lot. So how do you feel, I, I've heard someone mention, I think it might have been at ChannelCon last week, about switching the onus of security to the end user. And not not that it has changed to the end user, but that that's, that's how it is. Like the security by design mindset that people are wanting to implement now, it's shifting from putting the responsibility for the end user to buy antivirus software or mm-hmm. do all the things that are trying to make insecure yeah. technology and systems secure, like as an add-on. How, what are your thoughts and on that? And you're saying it needs to move up the chain and, and move up? Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's a part of just a byproduct of how this has worked. I mean, think about even as an MSP, five years ago serving the SMB or small mid-sized business, nobody cared about a lot of the things that are offered today, right? They didn't want a SOC as a service. They didn't want EDR. They didn't want to do MFA. They didn't want to do all these things. And yet we then had to add costs to sell that as an a la carte thing instead of making it part of our world. Yet today, more and more it's becoming part of our world and you can't choose not to have it. And so you have this drift of it moving. I think the, the challenge with asking the consumers to make a decision on what they want to do or not is phallic in the sense that they don't understand enough to even make that decision. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you're having to do stuff like this to try to teach them 
so they can then make a decision. But my attorney, my CPA, my doctor, they don't do any of that. Right. They don't go, man, I, need, I really need Matt to understand methylacillin resistance Staphylococcus aurora. Because if he doesn't understand MRSA and its resistance to common antibiotics, then no, they go, you need to take this pill or you're going to die. And it, it, right. It's kind of that way, right? But yet in our world, we have to educate and they want to understand. and they want. So I say all this to say, I actually think the burden needs to shift uphill. And at some point, logically, he's going to say, I'm not taking you as a client because if you're not doing these base things, I'm not, it's not worth it to me for you. Right. And you've probably even seen that in your organization, just from the caliber of the humans I know that work with you. Um, I, I know that's probably part of their world. So I think you're seeing it go to, yes, the identity and the human matter at the end of that chain, but the, the onus, to your point, is going to shift up. And it's going to shift up to the service providers, like logically, and it's going to shift up to the software manufacturers to say, why do I buy Microsoft tenants at their most insecure state? Why do I get my Google tenant with nothing turned on from a security perspective? Like, at what point should that be your responsibility? And it also, at what point should that be part of my stack and my SKU, which follows those same patterns? Logically, at some point, sold, I'm sure. Security tools separate. More and more, those things become part of the SKU, and that's what we're selling, and there is no, there's no delineable aspect there. Right. So. It's, a, it's the whole package. And to your point, there, there are always going to be those people that you tell them and you educate them time and time again, like, hey, uh, enable multi-factor authentication. Right. And they're like, no, it's too much. It's inconvenient. inconvenient. Yeah, 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 100%. <laughs> We've all heard it. And those same people, there's an interesting aspect of this, though, too. We don't talk about this enough. Those same people may follow their own Darwinism in that regard. And I, I think you're seeing that more and more where there's such a separation. The people that don't do it, the cost is there. They do go out of business. They do get punched in the face. And they do lose. And at some point, the market rewards the ones that don't and destroys the ones that do make that action. And I think that's what we as an industry have to be better about being okay with and saying if you don't choose to move forward, at some point somebody decided, no, that internal combustion engine's a bad egg. Let's stick with steam. And then they went out of business, yeah. <laughs> right? There's, you look at uh, you know, Blockbuster versus Netflix, even to bring it more, more pr- uh, proximal. They said, hey, maybe we'll stick in this normal distribution while somebody else was changing to a modern method of distribution and, and change right. the world. And so I think that we're in that space where those people at some point will be destroyed enough that they'll, there will be an acceptance of that standard more and more, or they just won't be in business. Right. MSPs and, and end consumers. It's uh, an so. adapt or die type of situation. Yep. And it always kind of has been, right? right? This is just a different front for us to focus on than before. Yeah. So. I think that kind of falls in line with one of my other questions, which was AI is a huge topic. It has been practically all year. What do you see as some of the the biggest benefits, but also maybe some of the toughest challenges that companies are going to face over the next few years with regard to to AI, like in technology and security, like across the board? What are your thoughts? I think yes is a good answer. Yes, Um, everything. Just all of the things. No, genuinely, um, I think if you look back over history, there have always been fundamental technology shifts that, that now everything changes as a result. Great example, cars, invented in the late 1800s, changed the entire landscape of the world from a city versus suburb perspective, especially in the United States, overnight. Right. Long before we ever had airbags, long before we had seatbelts. And I say that to say... 
we build technologies that move and change our world fundamentally first and then sort out the, 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 the negative bits, right? right? We then go, maybe it's bad to have a Chevelle roll or a Pinto get hit in the back end and blow up. Maybe it's, and so then you start adding in the National Motor Vehicle Safety Act in like 1965, yeah. 1966. We're talking almost a decade after the invention of that technology. So when you think about um, the fundamental nature of that, it, it changes more than just one thing. It's a multi-factor change. And if you look at tractors, tractors made cities. The mechanization of farm equipment made cities possible because I didn't have to have 17 kids to put enough taters in the ground and tend them all year so we can eat, right? I, I could buy that in bulk and I could move to the city and create all these industries and all these things that are magical and we live with every minute today fundamentally change from some piece of technology. I think AI or you know machine learning or LLMs or whatever flavor you're calling it today, but really this understanding of more and more technical improvement of capabilities and in some ways removing human jobs, changing human jobs. So I, that's my first point. I think technologies like AI and machine learning LLM, which I know I'm on a stupid bandwagon saying the same stuff, but they will fundamentally make it to where I can use better robotic process automation, better ways to automate away a role or a job. And so I think the, the advice is companies need to lean into the understanding of what this can bring and what it can do to free you up and, and can make it where you can dedicate that human to doing something way better. Look at what we talked about earlier about the background audio you're going to have to edit out, which if you're listening to this now, won't have it anymore. But there's, there's more work to be done. And yet at the same time, Adobe has released a, a pretty awesome machine learning method that will remove the background noise. Right. What if you had to do that for five hours instead of now ten minutes? Can you focus on doing more interviews or better or putting out better quality product with your time? Yeah. And I think that's what businesses need to understand with these, these technologies is that they will be used first to make a better product and better profit for your customers. Now, the flip side of this coin, what will it do to introduce new risks and new uh, um, vulnerabilities that come into play um, or new vulnerabilities that then create risks just because I'm now honoring my buddy that I had a call with earlier, uh, nomenclaturally. But uh, you're going to see this increase. People are stupid. By nature, we always take advantage of what's going to benefit us before thinking of the repercussions. As soon as, as OpenAI came out with their you know, now easily accessible chat GPT, which isn't the first one. It's just the first one that's been made massively accessible to people right. in a meaningful way that was more than just novelty and had huge adoption. I mean, like that growth curve was like this. But those same people in that, I guess they can't see my hand motions in a non-video <laughs> thing. Stick. So I'm doing a hockey stick curve, yeah. But, or asymptote, if you will. But the point is, is that when that growth goes up, how many of those humans put in sensitive information that then became a leak? Like, we've already seen class action lawsuits about that very thing of people putting in sensitive data in a shared learning environment that then can be regurgitated to another human. We don't think about the security first. So we will create more challenges from the vulnerabilities that we introduce that allow more threats to impact us, which means that our risk has gone up. But you have to imagine, people are not in business to avoid risk. That's a broken thought process. Phil, uh, Alyssa Miller, famous CISO, she's probably here, but she spoke last year and said, we're told as InfoSec professionals that, that the language of business is risk. Horse crap. The language of business is profit. Raw, unadulterated profit. We take a risk, and by the time we start a business, we've accepted all of those risks. We've done nothing to mitigate them. We took those risks to make a profit. Now, do we deal with those risks and say that one's too much and it'll exceed my profit and I need to deal with 
that's where the risk equation gets interesting around AI is that we will often receive a better profit, a better FTE or full-time employee usage, all of those things far before we actually understand the risk profile we've created by doing so and how we chose to do so. So I, I think we will see A, and John maddening it here a little bit, we're going to see fundamental shifts in what businesses do and how they employ humans as a result of more and more of these type of machine learning and AI type algorithms that they're out there. But we're also going to see, at least initially, a clamoring to create what what's secure enough? What are the baseline standards? What should we actually do to secure this? Most of that language hasn't even begun to exist yet, yet here we find it where people are actually having it write stuff for them every day, right? Uh, and so I think uh, it's a little buzzwordy today, and even really the capabilities are somewhat that of a pretty angry teenager that might lie to you, right? Like, at the end of the day, it will continue to grow, and you will continue to see more and more verticalized value out of these businesses that are just like that city being born where now there's trash people and now there's there's movies and now there's things we can go to because of that city density and the amount of delivery and demand from free time we're going to see those same things play out and it will be lovely i mean it will be amazing it's just going to come with a lot of challenges and loss probably as well yeah so. there there was one talk earlier on um i guess ai and like risk management and policy and sure. how it's setting in certifications and, and new ways of uh, holding AI and machine learning to certain standards yeah. across the board. And one of the important points was getting getting technical people, people that understand those areas sure. and having them having them and their voice heard and understood so that they can actually make standards yeah. that are, are applicable and that can grow into and what they're predicting. This is how the cybersecurity industry has always worked, right? RFCs, requests for comments. Yeah. Somebody with a terrible idea puts it out there and asks others to say terrible things or good things about it until it becomes an actually accepted principle. Like right. TCPIP came from an RFC. Um, we've seen these things play out forever, and it's always been a practitioner's consensus model, mm-hmm. right, if you will. Um, but I think we've gone a long way away from that. I think you've let marketing teams, nothing personal, <laughs> but I think we've let marketing teams define terms right. and muddy the language that we've actually all gotten a little dumber yeah. uh, in cases. So, yeah. Yeah, I completely 100% agree. Uh, marketing will make things sound snazzy, but they don't have, uh, it's not a lot of, benefit or value behind those words all the time. Sometimes, so, yeah, yeah. It yeah. makes it a little bit more confusing. I'd like to know, since you've been working in in technology and, and security for, what, over a decade now? It's been a long time. Yeah. These I'd gray like, hairs didn't come for free. <laughs> and can, Yeah, since you can't see, he's got a nice long beard. Yeah, I was finding the gray ones in there. Each one's an incident. Yes. <laughs> um, I'd love your perspective on how you've seen technology change and how the imperative for security has grown and changed like over the last decade. And I know you've kind of alluded to some of these things in, in some of your responses recent earlier. book I just wrote as well. Yes, but, exactly. You know, what's interesting about our world today is we are all starting to get it, mm-hmm. right? What I mean by that is the SaaS providers or software as a service providers, the software manufacturers, the, the tools, the security, the practitioners, all of us are starting to wake up and get it. And at a time where... We're also shifting from a very infrastructural view of the world. What I mean by that is, if I start a company tomorrow, there's almost zero chance I buy a server. Almost zero. Right. There's almost zero chance I even put a server in the cloud that I'm doing in a traditional server model. Almost zero. I'm probably going to have an identity. 
I'm going to sign in with that identity into cloud applications and SaaS applications, and that's my world. What's interesting about that is there's such an interesting difference in what we can actually script and automate in those two. If I think about having that server and infrastructure world, and then just the variables I'd have to account for to do some type of update or protect it in a certain way, I'd have to have the network type and structure delineations. I'd have to have the server type and what server version it is. Is it is server 08, 8R2, 12R2, 16, 19, 20, 22? Is it those? Is it Forest Function 2003, 3R2, 8R2, 16? Where are we? All these variables that make it to where you, you just have a very hard time normalizing and coming up with an automation that works universally. But let's look at that picture I just described of an identity provider and a SaaS provider. Like, to make it easy for anybody in your audience that isn't as technical, think about signing in with Facebook for the first time into some other application. You wanted to play that bird game or something and you signed in with either a password or your Facebook, and you just click Facebook, that's the concept of an identity provider being Facebook and a consuming entity being Angry Birds. Well, in our world, that becomes Microsoft as the identity provider, or Okta, but probably Microsoft for most of your clients. And then when they consume their sales force, they just sign in with Microsoft. That type of model means that for every sales force and every Microsoft, I have all the variables, I have all the commands I need from an API or application programming interface perspective. Right. And it's very known. And as it changes, it's changed known, which means I can script an experience. I can script security the same way for a hundred customers exactly the same way. And if it fails, it fails systemically. And if it works, it works systemically. That's very different than, oh, which time did you last update your server? Um, we need to buy a new OS. I can't do that in eight. I can only do it in 12. Whereas in Microsoft, it just grows as it grows and everybody has the same benefit from it. The same API calls, the same everything. Right. Which means, back to your real core question of what's changed in security, what's changed in our world, I can actually now do the nerdy bits in a script. I don't have to have a nerd to do them. I can have one nerd that does it for all of them. And now I can focus on your business. Now I can say, how do I make your decisions better, make you better for your end customers? And for a logically doing this with customers, it means that a lot of that commoditization of the tech goes away and you have to find new ways to add value. And that's through coaching them to be better than their competitor. That's through making their employees' experience better than anybody else's. Like, think about when you started Logically. How cool is it if you get that laptop and your swag bag and your new T-shirt and that new sticker that's so dope, and it all comes to you and you just open it up and it works and it's intuitive and you don't have to think about it. Compared to, uh, we're going to take you through tech onboarding, we're going to have about the next two days of training. Like, it's just you are younger than me. And you grew up in an Angry Birds experience where when you fired that up on your phone, you had zero expectation of it not firing up. Right. Every time. Yeah. Exactly. No matter what. It was predictable. Yes. And that's where we're heading with technology that we weren't 10 years ago. We used to claim that our value statement as MSPs was, we'll give you the best white glove experience and keep your pooter working better than anybody else. Like, that's now table stakes. How do we add value is a whole different proposition in today's world. Right. Uh, and it's much more around... I like the buzzword of security since we're here at Black Hat, but really, how do I make your technology system just work under a certain level of acceptable risk load, right, and have escalatory capabilities to protect data that matters more? Like, it's very, very scalable today, uh, in my opinion. Definitely. What are some of the key areas that you focus on for your clients when it comes to technology? And not, not, just, not just technology, but also security. So my clients are you. Um, so at the end of the day, at State, I'm an external resource. I spend most of my time educating and driving success of MSP, MSSPs, and small business in our world. Um, and so I think 
what what do I see as the biggest challenge for me and my clients, or what do I see as that that technology conversation? It's education. You know, it, it really is that you, in the same way, the more you can educate your clients and get them to a position of trust and get them to a position where they're starting to win as a result of knowing you, that's where we're at, right? It, it, Pax A specifically knows that if I help you be better and be better at selling and be better at using and be better at protecting and be more profitable and be able to grow, guess what? We grow by proxy. Exactly. <laughs> it's a win-win. <laughs> so I do think that we're all in a state where we're shifting from this marketing hyperbolous crap mm-hmm. to you better provide value, you better teach me, and if you do, I will know you're my partner and I'll buy from you. Right. That's such a fundamental difference where you can't just do some snazzy webinar to showcase what you're selling. You must actually demonstrate an increase of what you're teaching them around that. Thought leadership that's driving their world. Show them that you've got this. Show them that you understand it well enough to actually help them understand it. And that's just a big difference. Maybe a little self-aggrandizing because that's what I do for a living. But I do think that's such a shift in our world that it's not just marketing hype, it's education now. Right. Actually presenting the benefits, the value that people get. Yeah. 100%. Right? Because it's not features, it's benefits. We don't care about features. I don't care that that car can go this fast. I don't care about how well it turns. I care about how it makes me feel and how I get somewhere, right? And so there's a very difference in features versus these benefits that I actually care about. Yeah. I like the one of the famous um, analogies for Apple. It's like, oh, like five gigs of space or memory on your your iPod. Or it's like 5,000 songs in your pocket. Yeah. Right. Way different, right? Speeds and feeds versus... Dude, I could listen to 5,000 songs. That's a long road trip. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, yeah. you see yeah, yeah, it yeah, in yeah, your yeah. mind, all the value Way that you get different. out of it. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. So. Awesome. Well, okay, my last question, and this is uh, however however you see fit to answer. Uh, what is some advice that you could give to our audience, whether that's uh, to other MSSPs or MSPs, yeah. or to, to individuals looking for solutions like Logically? Um, I think... One of the things that I would say as a statement is that we can't focus on protection. We can't focus on this understanding that I'm going to stop all threats or that I can solve this problem. Mm -hmm. I think we need to focus on whether it be technology, whether it be change in general, or whether it be security in this definition, that we always have to continue to change. That there is no static point you get to. Even in your own business, if you're not in security or if you're not in technology and you're just making widgets, at some point you must keep up with market demands and changes and you have to continue to grow and change. So my advice is, don't ever feel like you've solved security. Don't ever feel like you've solved technology. Always be malleable and be willing to change. One of the best compliments I got, and it wasn't given as a compliment, um, came from this Belgian engineer who's brilliant, and he, he often let perfect be the enemy of good which is, I know what the final right answer must be, and until I get to that, I'm not going to do anything. I, I want to I'm gonna go do this. No, start where you are and iterate. And what he said to me one day, he said, Matt, you hold extremely loosely to passionate beliefs. And he's right. While I believe something, I'm going to go scream it and drive it and do it wholeheartedly. But I'm always looking for data that says I'm wrong. I'm always looking for data that says I need to change what I'm saying. And for anybody out there thinking about where they are in security, if you put those two concepts together of don't let perfect be the enemy of good and start where you are, right? I right now can only do this. 
but then also understand I need to grow and change, then you'll iterate to where you need to be from a security perspective, from a technology perspective, from a you know from any perspective. I, I gave this as a talk at ChannelCon, and I started with a two-minute rocket video, and this was just a video of SpaceX every time they blew up a rocket trying to land it and failed, right? And they showed it over and over again, all the failures they made. And at the end of it, they finally succeeded. Did they win because of the success or did they win because of the failures? And the argument is they won because of the failures. The company that can fail the fastest for the cheapest amount of money and with the highest ability of tenacity and persistence to continue doing it wins at the end of the day. And so it's really about leaning into those failures, leaning into those gaps. And for anybody trying to choose a service with somebody like Logically, can they give me an assessment of where I am and where I really want to be, at least on today's standards? And do I have confidence that they'll take me to where tomorrow's standards go? That's what I would be looking for if I was trying to hire a company in that, in that way. So. Well said. Very well said. I get Thank one you. a day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.